bit. I was laughing with Jesse before we sat down because Jesse's like, "What are you? What are you doing the podcast as? Are you like you're a new comedian? Is that what it is? Are oh, you a day trader now? Are you? All right, talk to me. Are oh, you what? You're a school teacher? Are you? Um, so, bro, but, out like, of, out- but, but my angle from it is, I see you as somebody that is not afraid to look at a using the Everest metaphor, a summit, and go, what's going to take to get there? And give it a crack. And the courage and the ambition and the ability to suppress the inner monologue that says you can't do that, which 99.99% of people can't do, is huge and super impressive, man. Like, I say that in all genuine respect and um, admiration for what you do and what you set out to achieve. It's impressive. Yeah, thanks, bro. Thanks, man. I um, I think to go back to your original question, I reckon on that list that the first true love was was the running section of that. Yep. So running, um, just for a little bit of context, I, I started running um, just for whatever reason. I developed this real obsession with health and fitness when I was like 10 or 11. And, uh, and a big part of that was just the only thing I knew that went into like a health and fitness routine, which was running. And, uh, I was playing football and started just getting some comments from people on the side, like, man, you've got a great ability to run out a game of footy. And I was like, yeah, I sort of do actually. And, uh, like my interest in running started to develop from that point. Like, you know, when someone highlights something that you're good at and you go, hang on a second. Yeah. Am I? Yeah, am I really? Oh, hello. <laughs> that was actually very close to my. Wait, I'm not going to be the tallest in the class or the strongest in the class or the fastest in the class, but I'm good at running. Okay, done. What's <laughs> yeah. my thing? What's my angle? What's my, what's my cool kid factor? <laughs> that was right. And it, uh, I never discovered that cool kid factor. I didn't realize till year 12 that the girls didn't love distance runners. I was trying to figure out what it was. Is it just my personality? But it was the fact they could see my ribs and probably my personality as well. But I, um, <laughs> so bro, I was, I was living in Perth, 12 or probably about 12 or 13 i'd started to get really good at this running scene and and entered the state champs just to see how i would go and uh i didn't really know how to pace myself i didn't know who the competition was i didn't really know anything about the sport so i just went out and ran with the people at the front for as long as i could and then gradually the people at the front started to disappear until it was just me at the front and it just it sort of shocked me i i'd never been uh i'd never competed just in an individual sport i definitely didn't think i was going to win a state champs when I was, when I was so, sort of so new to it, so it got me by. Was there an age and, limit on that state champ? Yeah, yeah. So it was a, it was under fourteen. So I was bottom yeah. age, which was which was sort of in my head made it even more impressive. Um, but what did you uh, have to tell yourself? I, I got across <laughs> the line. I got across the line, and I, I I was sort of just shocked. And it was just that massive adrenaline rush of oh my gosh, like I this I won this, and that was an automatic ticket to like national cross country champs, which was in. So I was living in WA, which was in Melbourne at Yarraben Park. And uh, it was just, uh, I think it was just such a massive dopamine hit that I got addicted to it straight away. And uh, that was sort of the welcome into the sport. And and that sort of was a big part of what I was doing for about 12 or 13 years. Wow. Um, yeah, which was which is like a found, I, I think running was sort of like a, a little bit of a discipline factor where you had to learn to get over negative emotions. You had to learn to be confident. You had to learn to put yourself in, in like really difficult situations to, to try and win. And uh, I, I think like you mentioned briefly before about just overcoming that negative self-talk, I, I credit a lot of like the running training and the highs and lows that come with that at, at such a young age. Um, 
as maybe the foundation to, to that attitude towards a lot of other things. And you kind of just like, it's a really good succinct snapshot of what would have been a lot of hard work and a lot of uh, hard lessons learned. So you mentioned that self-discipline. Was that something that came naturally? Yeah, I think it was actually. I think like- Lucky you. Good (laughs) for you. 90% of people listening, it was like, fine. You're that person that just goes, I want to exercise. And everyone else is like, I I genuinely feel it's, yeah, it's come, it's not in everything. Like if if we worked together for a while, obviously at City Life Church and uh, when it came to admin work, discipline didn't come naturally to me i think it's i think it's probably the love of what i was doing that, that inspires that discipline like i'm i'm that guy and i think most people probably feel mm. like this if they can if they can get themselves out the door to do it but i'm that guy that genuinely i i feel so much better for exercising that i can't yeah. justify not doing it because i've right. i've tried that thing where you sit on the couch and have a lazy day and it's sort of nice while you're watching a movie, but I always get to the end of the day. I'm like, oh, I just, I feel like something's missing. I haven't achieved me, something. Yeah. And exercise, it's like a, it's a nice little, um, it's like a really short duration to feel as though you've achieved something. Like if you go for a 25 minute run or a 20 minute run or whatever, and you get to the end of that, then for the rest of the day, you've done a 20 minute run slash walk, depending on how fit you are. Um, but it's just, I love that feeling of getting to the end and being like, oh, good. Like that's, there's a tick. It's your equivalent, quick fix wise, of a sugar hit. That's that's a good way to put it. Yeah, exa- exactly right. But your your teeth don't feel as bad, and the crash of energy isn't as isn't as rapid, <laughs> and way less worse acne as well. Really good point. Really yeah. good point. Diabetes yeah. isn't the factor. Yeah, it's um, harder to get diabetes when you run. Apparently, yeah. I've never yeah. heard anyone catch it through a long run. You punch COVID in the face, you know, <laughs> yeah. don't need a vaccine, I'm good, I'm fit. That's right. That's the attitude I've taken. We'll see how long that takes. We'll see how long that attitude lasts. <laughs> oh, no, let's just uh, steer the conversation away from that, not getting oh. too political. Oh, um, I loved um, I was laughing actually with um, with yours and Serena's conversation the other day. Uh, I loved it that she started with, um, all right, I'm not going to say anything controversial and don't swear. And, man, I love that chick. I actually don't know her really well, but by the end of that conversation, I was like, I just want to be her friend. I tried to find her on Instagram so I could follow her and just tell her how good she did, but I uh, I couldn't remember her last name. She did so good, so good, and it was just like, you just got to go. I'm like, fuck it. And she's like, yep. And it was like the seal was broken. It's like, oh, my gosh. And the conversation just, you know, you just relax and go, oh, we can say what we need to say. Oh, that's that. the vibe I got from her as well. She was just yeah. like, yeah, she definitely wasn't holding her cards too close to her chest. Nah, it's good. And, and I mean, that's the whole point of this this podcast is to yeah. try and have those conversations with people because it's so easy to put on a persona that says, I've achieved this, look at me. And it's so much harder to go, I tried this and failed. I tried this and it didn't work. I tried this and poof. And that was not for me. And now I'm here and that's where I'm meant to be. Yeah. And maybe it's not as glamorous as A, B, and C. And someone says a doctor and this person's doing that. Good for them. Mm. I am right where I'm meant to be. And I think, you know, even just a bit of self-reflection, I think this is podcast number, I don't know, 16, whatever. So far, a reoccurring theme, which I wasn't expecting, was a lot of people had a moment where they looked at, to use the title, the price of entry into a certain area and went no. So it's not so much even necessarily 
the price of entry into what they find themselves currently doing, the most powerful thing I've been hearing reading between the lines is people having looked at what it would require to get to where they first thought maybe was where they needed to be in inverted commas and looking at that price and going, that's not worth it. Mm. I'm not paying that. Are you saying that I'm going to have to commit my firstborn child, my marriage, and my second marriage, and da 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 to get to there? Oh, that shit ain't worth it. Yeah. Jules' episode is going to come up in a couple of weeks. Great chat with him. And similar lines, just like I'm drinking beers, hanging out with friends, and life is great. Way better than the stress of what I was going through before as a hardcore person. I had to live, you know, the dial turned to 12 all of the time. And I'm wondering, linking that into the running scene, what was that like? And what was the environment of, you know, you, especially at a young age, I imagine you've got your kids that have got that natural talent and those that are really pursuing a career in it what was that environment like was there an element where there those there were those that were just naturally talented to kind of you know skirt through Mm. but those that were like hardcore training as much as they can because they're like i want to win olympic gold what was that environment like to be in at a young age man it's such a good question and there's it's such a broad answer I'll, i'll do my best to keep it short but um it's interesting when you're 13 or 14 and you're mm. lining up against such competitive people because there's so many different factors that are leading to them wanting to do really well. And, and like one of those, one of the factors is, is the fact that their parents are trying to live vicariously through them <laughs> and every mistake that yep. they made through their junior days and every regret that they had about not pursuing it is coming out. And there's just like this high pressure situation where these kids have got to achieve and like there's that ugly parent on the side just screaming at them to do better. And like no matter how hard they try it wasn't quite good enough and it's like a i feel like until maybe age 14 that that approach might work to get some really good results out and then all of a sudden the kids start going hang on a second i hate this <laughs> yeah, that's right just give them the those listening i just stuck my middle finger up in the camera <laughs> and in homage to all of the 14 to 18 year old kids that <laughs> felt like they wanted to do that but couldn't Seriously, that was really powerful. I actually took offense at it just momentarily. I forgot what we were talking about and thought it was just directed. <laughs> thought I was doing it, yeah. <laughs> um, and then like, uh, beyond that, you've got uh, those man childs, like the kids who are running in an adult's body who, regardless of how talented I am or how fast I am, there's no way I'm going to beat this guy because he's got tree trunk legs and he's six foot four and I'm pretty sure he's 23. And then you've sort of got athletes that yep. I put myself in this category. I was pretty talented. Um, it's hard to know how talented you are at that age, but I was talented, but I was small. Um, my coach was telling me I had a lot of potential and I sort of bought into that because I trusted him. And, and I think like that could be the factor, I think, like, because I knew that there was talent there, uh, but it was a little bit undiscovered and I felt like it was a long-term investment. So I had right. to just keep, uh, I was promised or I was encouraged that, hey, this is going to reward you as long as you just keep showing up to do it. So they were probably like the three big areas. And you, you said something before that I think is, is really on point. I'm not sure if this is what you meant by it, but this is what I took out of it. You're talking about uh, like the attitudes of the people that you were racing mm. against. And 
I, I definitely had this and still fall into it sometimes, <coughs> even at 34, had this attitude of, all right, my goal is to be an Olympian, to be an Olympic medalist, maybe yeah. even a gold medalist. And like the idea of a successful life to 14-year-old Tyson was that. And constantly in my life, even still, I have these, these moments of, of like a wake-up call where I reach the line that I thought was going to bring that satisfaction. Yeah. And as I cross it, the line moves. And I've, I think at that age, if you had told me that like just pure success didn't lay in an Olympic medal or an Olympic ticket or, or any yeah. sort of running achievement, it would have been hard for me to believe. But um, I, I think that's been like a really big awakening to me uh, as I've gotten older, just to be like, oh, crap. So there is genuinely no, like, I don't think there's any one achievement that's ever going to just make uh, or, or offer you this sense of complete satisfaction. It's more of an attitude or an acceptance of, of where you are rather than, you know, what you've accumulated. And why do we pursue that? Do you think? Fantastic question, man. You're probably you're probably better off trying to answer that than me. I think um, Richard Raw has got this awesome book mm. about falling upward. Uh, it's called Falling Upward, and and essentially what he's talking about is you know in the first half of our life, like not chronologically, but the first half of our life in terms of like maybe maturity. Mm. Our our goal is is to sort of fill this container that we have with things that we think are really meaningful. Yeah, and like keep accumulating, keep accumulating, keep accumulating. And Runs then, on the board, degrees, certifications. Yeah, promotions. All the things that the people around us in this particular culture go, yeah, yeah, that's a sign a Tesla. of success. Hundred percent, exactly right. And he said, uh, like, there comes a point in everyone's life where, like, they have a, they have a, you know, whether it's a like a, a marriage breakdown or they mm. have a like a, a death or they have a. Um, you know, a, a season of, of lows or depression or, or whatever it is. There's like a mm. low point where people realize, oh my gosh, like, like all these things that I've accumulated actually don't offer any meaning at all. In fact, um, like I think my meaning lies somewhere else. And that's, that's probably been the most powerful message I think I've picked up from, from uh, you know, we met at church from Christianity is, is this idea that there's, there's like no amount of things that we can accumulate that are going to offer that satisfaction. And he says the second half of your life is just making that realisation and taking the things yeah. out of that box and realising yeah. that what you have or what you what you need you already have access to or the things mm. that really offer value. 100%. And I think, oh, man. And I think I've flirted with this conversation a couple of times on this podcast but not wanted to do, I don't know, I've, I've, I've hesitated trying to delve into that aspect of the parallel between Christianity, but then like every, every human struggle mm. with uh, the pursuit of happiness, for lack of a better term, or the price of entry, um, out of fear of not being able to articulate it well enough without some people going, oh, that's just Christianity, whatever, yeah. or going, that's oh, just a load of crap, whatever. But th there is something to it. No matter what side of the political fence or no matter what side of the religion conversation you find yourself, put teams aside, put black and white aside, put I'm in, you're out aside. Let's, you know, in this partisan time, let's for once just look at reality and go, is the pursuit of these things going to make you happy and bring you joy? and make those around you better and bring a sense of happiness and purpose to those that you find yourself in contact with in your life. Yeah. And as you just touched on, Christianity, for all its flaws, listen to the podcast with you and people. We do our best to pull it apart, and I reckon there's probably going to be a follow-up episode to that as well because 
Uh, it's such a deep conversation. But there is something within the Christian faith that 100%, as you said, calls to the need to be more than just this inward focused on self, mm. to remove self from the equation and think of something bigger than yourself that no matter what your religion, if society was less selfish, that's better for everyone, regardless of your faith. It's such a good point, man. And even for people out there who are like maybe atheist or just completely despise religion of any sort, even looking at it as an archetype of, of just patterns that we see in our life. Like yeah. Joseph Campbell has this awesome book, Hero with a Thousand Faces, and he also uh, speaks about this idea of like a hero's journey of just yeah. um, reaching down to a low point, experiencing a death, and then resurrecting from that and being born stronger, better. And, and I can genuinely say for all the, um, you know, the highs and lows, or I should say for all the lows that I've had in my life, uh, like I often look back and I'm genuinely grateful for that. Um, even even losses like of, of close yep. friends, I can look back and be grateful for the memories and the lessons that I've taken from that. And even like if you, you didn't buy into it, I like the idea of Jesus' his story just as a metaphor. Do you know what I mean? Just as, all right, it's the story of a guy who was nailed to a cross and resurrected. I'm like, oh, I can see that picture in my own life. And I think, as you say, it's not limited to a particular religion. Like everyone can see that pattern. Yeah. And that's something that always frustrates me about <clears throat> conversations where somebody feels they're on a certain team. And they just pile on and they just throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm like, ah, people on all sides do that. But like, you got to, even if you looked at it from a critical point of view, the, the positives that are in there and you take away the negatives and all of the failings of the church, which are many. And between you and I, we could name a few from our own personal experience. <laughs> I think I've contributed a couple. <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing with each other, not at anybody in particular. If you feel this way, please contact us on uh, 053-555-353. We're here to help. Um, Yeah, it's it's. But you got to be able to look at it objectively sometimes and go, is there some good to be had for society broadly from some of these ideas? Yes. Okay. Is it perfect? No, because humans are flawed. (laughs) So true. I wish I had your, I think your personality or your temperament is far better suited to looking at things objectively. Like my emotions speak up and I go, yeah, that's a really good point. I'm going to abuse that idea. (laughs) I'm going to call that person a dickhead because he disagrees with me. (laughs) Oh, no. But you need, it takes all types, right? (laughs) That's what what I keep telling myself. So just to like, you know, completely sidetrack the conversation back to where it originally was around running, um, where did this running pursuit uh, lead you to? And, and, and where did that pursuit that we were talking about earlier, what were the next things that, that came from that? Man, it's, uh, as I said, it was like a 14, probably a, I started when I was 12, finished when I was about 25, 13 year journey wow. of, of running. And like, there was plenty of low points. There was plenty of high points. Like I think, um, on paper, the biggest achievements that I had was like, uh, like we're in Melbourne. I won the Melbourne Marathon 10K, which was sort of, it's like a no massive, small feat. That's great. That's huge. Field. It was a real highlight. Do you know what I mean? Um, I couldn't so walk I think, 10Ks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think if you're looking at like um, results on paper, that was a really big one. And then I went mm. across to Canada and competed at like the World University Cross Country Champs. And uh, like that was another massive highlight. But uh, I, I honestly think like the, so at the end of running, this is this is a massive tangent and probably fits right into 
what you were saying I love about tangents. Yeah, about what you were saying before about just having a crack. But uh, you're a Richmond supporter. But Mark Blitzarves. Oh, why do we have to bring that? <laughs> Sorry. Like, For some reason I had on. in my mind you were a, a Geelong man. Don't That's worry, I'm, I'm Carlton. Yeah, okay. So uh, Mark Blitzarves, who who's played, yep. he played his 200th game last weekend with with Geelong. Um, was a bloke that I used to race against a lot in the in the in the running world. I had some really good battles, and he's a couple of years younger than me. But when he when he got drafted, I I had a little bit of a flashback because my original dream when I was you know pre twelve was to play AFL footy, and I thought, oh man, like if this guy can do that, I've I, like I think I'm probably more talented at, at footy than I was at running. Yeah. So I said, all right, I'm going to write a letter to every AFL club and just list my credentials and expect to get no response. Um. And so I did and expected no response. And, bro, I was sitting in my, my lounge room in Ringwood back in 2014 and I got a call from Paul Ruse, who was the head coach of Melbourne Footy Club at the time. Yeah. And uh, he goes, mate, uh, it's Ruse. And I was like, Ruse? He goes, mate, it's Paul Ruse. And I was like, oh, Ruse. <laughs> hey, go on, mate. This is, uh, this is unexpected. He goes, mate, I've had a look at your letter. I like your credentials. I want to meet you. Would you come in and have a chat with me and some of the coaches? And I was like, oh, mate, I'll see if I can just line up a time on my schedule. So, so it was, uh, yeah, every other commitment was deleted. So I went and met with, <laughs> with him and, and, and Todd Viney and a couple of other guys there that I'd looked up at as like a junior, as footy stars, and just sort of listed my case and listed my cause and, you know, uh, I was 27 at the time, 2014. Yeah, I was 27, so I was a yep. little bit, a little bit on the brink of being too old. But at the time, they were obsessed with with middle distance runners and endurance yep. athletes. And uh, we went back and forth for a couple of weeks, and uh, essentially said, "Mate, uh, for you know, the long story short was, uh, you're too old. We're we're gonna invest in someone who's sort of in their early 20s rather than you." But even that was like a, a crazy eye opening experience. And actually, at the same time, Fremantle Footy Club called as well. And it was the same outcome because I deliberately didn't put on the letter that I was 27. I thought I'd just leave that little detail aside. And um, Let them so it, was, it was weird that, uh, like, for all the running experiences and for all the running commitment, at the end of that, it led to what was, you know, it was just a potential opportunity, but a pretty crazy story nonetheless to get a look at at playing in this in this world of AFL footy. So like even little experiences like that, I think this it, it's a crazier for me it's just a little bit of a crazy ride to be able to go, oh my gosh, like I can't believe I got to step through that door and have that conversation. For me that's cool enough. I don't I'm not that stressed about not playing <laughs> AFL. Um and, and maybe that's another thing that's sort of given me a little bit of confidence just to to you know just see what's under the under the stones that are you know laying at my feet a little more yeah, and and where is what does the running uh, scene look like for you now? Man, it's purely it's purely hobby for me. Like as a participant, I'm not a, I'm not competing. I like I try and run. Like I've I've run a few times this week, and it's beautiful down here in Queenscliff. There's we've got like a nice path along the water up towards the lighthouse. Just for it, you'd experience the uh, the beauty of nature down where you guys are now. But yeah. for me, it just it just way beats running around suburbs which i'd done for 15 years still loved it but being down here with the water like just a horizon weight in the distance a lighthouse to look at some fresh trails uh it's just a it's a beautiful hobby as i said something i just used to sort of recharge but um like uh so you mentioned at the very start that i'm i've, I've 
started a small business a couple of years ago, which is which is called Relaxed Running. And the idea there was because <clears throat> I'd been out of it for a few years, like I really missed the scene. I really missed the idea of just being able to take part in it. Mm. I still looked at all the results and what people were doing. <laughs> still um, addicted. Just yeah, super addicted. Uh, but but I had no like I had no sort of skin in the game. Yeah. So I started uh, and maybe a little bit driven out of the the football world because when I mm. when I was got knocked back from from Melbourne, I went and played at ball and. And it was amazing how many of the, the athletes that had, or the players that had been playing for years were asking questions about how to train for football for in the running department. Right. And I thought, oh, it's interesting that there's not a lot of knowledge here. So mm. relaxed running is, is like the major part of that business is just working with, with sort of coaches and footballers with the preseason running work and structuring it um, to their specific fitness and position levels. Yeah. So, and the other side of that is, is um, you know, working with distance runners and stuff as well. But that's sort of where it's led. So for me as a participant, yeah, very little. But for me, in terms of mental investment, there's still a fair bit of time going into the, uh, into the running world. Nice. And what sort of habits have helped keep you from being a runner at 14 to being a runner now and being in a position to be able to stand on a platform and train others in it? What habits have helped carry you through that season, that whole time? So, in terms of what habits have have helped me uh, yeah. stay around for the long term, or yeah, and also keep your fitness up as well, maybe from a practical sense. Yeah, well, that practice because it's honestly, I've <clears throat> tried to think about this sometimes. I think for me, it all just boils down to how good I feel when I do it. So, the idea of being right. just out running, it's, it doesn't always feel good when I'm out there, but there's very few times where I get back, have a shower, have a brekkie, and regret going for that run. It's uh, it's just a nice little habit, and as I said, like once you've done it, you've done it. You feel good for the day. But in terms of, um, it's just weird, man. Like whenever you've done something for twenty years, you just you natu- especially when you're passionate about right. it, you accumulate a whole heap of knowledge and a whole heap of ideas about what works, what doesn't. And then it, it sort of blew my mind some of the questions I was getting about how to train for running. I was like, I thought this was just common knowledge. Like I thought, like what? I thought, uh, so just like how many days a week do I run, or how fast do I run, or um, how do I train for a marathon? Even I was like, oh, I forgot that these are questions that people have. Mm. But the like the the big one I mentioned this just because the main part of the relaxed running is the like how do you train for a game of footy, and uh, like just to just to be able to actually offer some real practical, helpful, and like solid information on how to do it mm. is is like a I guess a nice investment into to anyone else who's trying to get started. And I was always thinking about oh, what would I do a business in? What is it? Like, what should I start? I'm like, why not just start it around something you love and something you actually know about so that when people come to you, you actually produce results rather than, you know, you've got a fancy website with no substance. You've got nearly 20 years in the industry. So I think that's fair credentials to be able to uh, tell people what to do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what I try and tell them. That's what I try and tell them just before they click purchase. <laughs> <laughs> and in that scene, what's been some of the worst advice you've heard people give around running, especially middle to long distance running? Oh, well, it's really funny, man. Like the idea of, um, and this is probably a horrendous conversation for you because I know how exciting distance running is to to no one <laughs> apart from those in it. But um, I, I like- hate it so much. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I remember Feel free, doing, I remember Feel free doing, to go to <laughs> teaching. I was always a sprinter when I was a kid and in high school. And, you know, I was, I was, I was pretty good. Um, <laughs> but I didn't pump my tires too much. But when it came to long distance, like I'll be 100% honest, I just got bored. <laughs> yeah, bro. And so does and everyone, just switch off so does and everyone watching. Like, 
I'm done. I can't be bothered running anymore. People, but you're coming first. I'm like, I don't care. I'm done. <laughs> Let's really wrap care. this up. There's two girls to go talk to. Let's do that instead. Oh, and all the girls, <laughs> I used to idiot. hate this as well. All the girls would watch the 100 meter final at school. No one hung around for the 3,000. That was meters. my jam 100 meters and oh, 200 meters. Because you guys had shoulders and biceps. I just had ribs <laughs> and like, you could see the humorous bone of my you arm. Aerodynamic. <laughs> yeah, that's a really nice way of saying it. Yeah, but the girls always just said skinny. Um, <laughs> so I would never like I had the I had the opportunity I could line up on the hundred meters against bloke like you, blokes like you. Yeah. But like the idea of finishing fifteen meters behind the last place, which is the reason <laughs> I got into distance running, was just not that inspiring. So I. Uh, yep, fair. Yeah, I just uh, I just kept on running. I've forgotten your question. Uh, worst advice you've gotten. Oh, so when it comes like, to running. The running, I'll tell you this one, uh, the running side of things, it, when people start talking about technique, the worst advice you can possibly give is, I hate it when people say run tall. And the reason for that is it just takes, run tall is this idea of as long as your back straight, your hips are up, your leg stride's going to be a lot nicer. But there's just so many little technical things like um, reducing reducing tension through your shoulders and your hips and stuff that are ignored through that. But I'm not going to elaborate that because I can feel people just hitting pause on the podcast and go and listen to something else when a, a, a distance runner is not talking about technique advice. <laughs> I care too oh. much for your podcast. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate the, uh, the care and love. <laughs> Speaking of care and love, let's just pull a handbrake on that conversation and do like just a 90-degree turn <laughs> to comedy. Um, you know, there's a, there's a fun story for those poor souls listening. Um, I'm sitting at home one night, and it's about 9 p.m., and a friend from years ago goes, hey, mate, are you doing stand-up at Place X on Thursday night? And I'm like, what? Hey, man, it's been a while. Nice to hear from you. Also, no. He's like, oh, must be another Brendan Kavanagh doing an open mic slot at this place on Thursday night. I'm like, oh, that's weird. Huh. And part of my brain was going, Something's going on. <laughs> Something's going on. I'm like, hang on a second. I think Tyson's played up. Lo and behold, turns out Tyson put my name down for an open mic, not thinking I'd get in. Put himself down as well because he's great. And I'm like, oh, shit. And this is on a Wednesday that I found this out. And I had... 24 hours to go, okay, I'm doing stand-up for the first time tomorrow night. All right, let's uh, figure out what's going on. Whilst that was a soul-destroying, nerve-wracking experience for myself that I've never gone back to, um, you've got a little bit more experience. And I guess my test for if somebody can call themselves a comedian is have they ever done a job where they've been paid to tell jokes? If they have, they're a comedian whether they're funny or not, have they done a gig and been paid for it? And you've done, it, you've done gigs and you've been paid for it. So my books, man, you're a comedian. Oh, stop it. But stop what it. the heck was that journey like? Getting up on stage and hoping people laugh at worst case at you, at best case with you. Oh, dude, can I just say for everyone listening, your <laughs> first gig as well, I did sign you up because we- Only spoke- gig. We we're only, only yeah. You've gone out. You've gone out with a with. Well, the, the response of that gig was was if you're not coming back after that, you're you're crazy. Because so many people are like, dude, that was really your first gig, 
And you're like, yeah, 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 that was just my first gig. And the thing that you have in your favor that I need to be uh, cautious of is you've got a personality which I think is really nicely suited to it. You're a bit quieter. You've, you're, you're happy to call, call bullshit where you see it um, and not in an annoying way. Sometimes my personality is like, just shut up. Just stop talking. <laughs> I can't stand people who I thought I'd be like this on stage and I'm so glad I'm not. Uh, it's like this real acty kind of performative, oh, super dramery. Yeah. And I was nervous getting started. I was going to be like that just because I see what I'm like with my mates. I'm like, oh, please no. Um, but your first gig, dude, that was, <laughs> I had people for weeks after that going, when's your mate going to come back? He was good. And I was like, come on. Like, I would appreciate a couple of compliments if you, if you don't mind about how I'm hey, coming. Hey, he said in his set that I was the funniest of the night. Talk about me. Come on. <laughs> I seriously leveraged off you so hard in those first 30 seconds to like cover my anxiety of like, cool. oh, yeah, really it was Tyson. To- yeah, nah, he was awesome. I'm his friend. Like me, everybody. And then made fun of the guy, the guy that was telling Hari Krishna jokes about what did he do? He did like oh, a five minute a set time. and he was I'm talking so about weird sex stuff. Yeah. And was like really awkward. He'd be mid fifties and like was telling these jokes and just everybody in the crowd was just like, oh, I don't want to be here. I feel dirty listening to this. So I made fun of him because, you know, I was going for the cheap shots and the quick win. (laughs) Well well played. Well Leverage off the funniest guy, bag out the worst guy. That's a recipe. It works. (laughs) For those people that are wanting to do their first comedy show, there's Brendan's advice. Oh, bro, and it's it's really good advice as well because even if you're bagging out a bloke, if you can do it with confidence, people in the audience go, hang on a second, he's not an ass yet. He, he seems to know what he's doing. Let's just go with, with it. And obviously you've been on stage so many times as well from back in your youth pastor days that you just, like, people were just shocked to see how comfortable you looked up there. Like you holding a microphone, they're like, oh, okay, this guy, this guy's experienced. And then you say hey, a joke and people are like, wait a sec, he's funny too. Be a classroom of year eight boys that have been kicked out of class of being a nuisance and tell me to hold their attention for a whole period and teach them about, you know, how to deal with anger management. Like that's where you and I actually met Yeah, was doing youth work in high schools with groups of kids that are in year eight, year eight boys. And I remember one of the classes we got, I think it was Scoresby High. I'm not going to mention names. Um, And (laughs) (laughs) there was one room where we found out really quickly, maybe our first one where the room was made up 50 50 of kids that were being bullied in school and the other half were all bullies <laughs> and put them in the same class because <laughs> they're both at risk and we realized i think halfway through going oh shit you're the kids being bullied by these kids and now you're in the same class oh no yeah. Yeah, honestly, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful foundation to build a comedy career upon. If you can keep anyone engaged for an hour in that situation, stand up's going to be easy. Which is probably why both you and I, despite our nerves, can get up on stage and at least pretend as though we're confident. Could be worse. Oh, shit. anyway, you doing stand up? Yes. Um, how did you get into that, and what were those like first couple of gigs like? Oh man, so I I've always been like. I've been to a couple of stand-up gigs before mm. and I think I always appreciated the courage of the people who are on stage because I was like, I know what it was like to be on stage and try and deliver a message to people, try and keep them engaged. Um, and actually that's probably where it, it started because too often, like when I used to speak at church to the 
to the kids, my my gauge of whether or not it was a good message was like how many laughs I got, which definitely is not supposed to be the warning me- sign. <laughs> the like it didn't over sixty how- minutes. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't matter how many uh, how many meetings I had with the senior leadership crew down there. No one ever asked. Like, so how many laughs did you get in that? Like how many laughs per minute? Whereas that was my main my main gauge. I remember once you pulled me aside after a message at. Uh, at church at six Sunday night and you're like, bro, that was really good. It's powerful. Um, just a reminder though, you, you're speaking at church and you didn't mention one Bible verse. And I was like, did I say that? No, but you were nice about it. You said it like a bro. Oh. And I was, and I needed to hear it. And I was like, probably really crucial step. Like I was doing yeah. 30 minutes of stand up <laughs> in my head and I was like, oh, this will be fine. <laughs> anyway. So like the idea going back to those days, the idea of being on stage and just getting a laugh, it always felt good. Um, I had a real appreciation for, for just people like Dan Leanne who could get up on stage mm. and just craft a message and keep everyone engaged and chuck a laugh in and just that almost like the craftiness of it, like the, mm. the skill of just holding people's attention, taking the economy their of words, oh, taking their emotions where you wanted them to go and, and like delivering a powerful point at the same time. I like that, had, that had been mm. something I was aware of and definitely appreciated for a long time. Uh, and I think I just appreciated whenever I saw a good stand-up comedian, the same thing. Like I, I love Carl Barron. I love his his it's the same skill, isn't oh, it? As, and it's as, just... as one, you know, small podcaster that not many people have heard of. His name's um Joseph, um, Joseph Rogan, I believe his name yeah, is. Yeah, I haven't haven't heard and um he he talks about that in terms of it's a mass hypnosis. Mm, that yeah, it's a great point. You're getting everybody on board from the get-go. Was it a good do it? And then you're taking people on a journey. And the more skilled that you are, the more people that you can take on that journey and take them where you want them to land before you walk off stage. That's why I think so many preachers and so many comedians, there's so many, there's there's, there's overlap in the skill set. A hundred percent. A hundred percent, man. And it's funny you mentioned Joe Rogan as well, because I'm a massive, massive fan of his. And I used to always hear him speak about how, stand-up comedy required the same skills as what his jiu-jitsu training did in the sense so. that uh, so in, in order to get good at jiu-jitsu you had to show up daily mm. you had to recognize where you sucked you had to recognize <laughs> you, you had to recognize your strength um you had to get over the embarrassment of a loss you had yep. to be humbled you had to be um uh you, you just had to keep showing up regardless of what your emotions felt like and mm. i was like man that sounds so much like running like that's exactly how i would have explained running uh, the way you described jujitsu. So every time he mentioned comedy as like a discipline, I would go, ah, oh, maybe this is something that you could develop. Because I like in a I, like I love the idea. You know me well enough now. I love the idea of being in a setting where you can try and be like Mr. Joker, like try and make a funny joke, make people laugh, and that idea of like a mini hypnosis to steal Joe Rogan's term is yeah, uh, is like yeah, a yeah. nice feeling, just to feel like you have people on the tip of their toes and like just mm-hmm. the unexpected. Like, oh my god, I can't believe you took it there. Oh, oh this is wrong. This is fu- this, but it's so funny. I love that. Mm. Um, and there's something in me as well that's so attracted to the idea of just being terrified and the idea of, of being terrified by people's judgment because you're on stage and if people aren't laughing, what you're doing is not working. Just such immediate feedback. Immediate feedback. Like there's no arguments. If people are quiet for too long, what you're doing isn't working. And it's probably equivalent to running. Like what'd you come? First, second or third? Anything yes. else, don't care. There's no Comedy, fighting. it's immediate as well. Like. At least, well, actually, if anything, it's more immediate than a race because a race you got to finish in order to get your result. Mm-hmm. Comedy, the first sentence you say 
shows you where you're at. hundred percent. And if you're shit, guess what? No laughs. If you're good, laughs. It's, it's, it's such instant feedback and the brain, your brain just runs at a gazillion miles an hour trying to keep up. What do I need to say to be able to get the like? Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. So, Nailed it. Actually, I was just thinking, it's a, it's amazing how jujitsu, what I was referring to, mm. immediate feedback. You got to tap out if you're like everyone knows yeah. where you stand. You just said running. It is. It's probably just that uh, there's nowhere to hide. There's literally nowhere to hide what you're experiencing. Everyone can see. Um, and they're all sort of a part of it with you. So I, I listened to that. And then after a while, I was like, man, all right, if this is a skill that you can actually develop, I'm really interested in trying it out. So I just signed up for a random open mic at the same room where I signed you up to it. Um, like at the end of 2000. And- uh 19 maybe yeah end of 2018 no nah, it would have been earlier than that 2018 end of 2018 yeah and bro i got a couple of laughs i got i got like a couple of laughs and and one bloke again said to me hey that, he actually said he goes oh you're the best first time performer i've ever seen and i was like oh and it was sort of like that uh i guess just thinking back the equivalent of that parent oh, back in the hello. footy days going oh you're pretty good at running and i was like oh really like you thought oh, it was quite no what did you like about it <laughs> it all makes sense now <laughs> yeah, yeah. but then man like uh so i joe used to joe rogan used to always talk about how you record your set and you have to force yourself to listen back to it when you whether you kill or whether you bomb you've got to find out what it was and this is the weird thing that i'm so like this is what this is what gets me obsessed with comedy which i am is the idea that it's a constantly moving target so I've got a series yep. of jokes that I'll be working on at any given time. And I might go out on a Tuesday night and, and kill, like have a great set. Yeah. Uh, just, and had the audience in that hypnosis state or whatever you want to say, and just feel like I killed it and you leave and it's like a drug and you're like, that is not the last time I do it. I need to get that feeling again. But then the flip side of that, the very next night you go out with the same material. Um, you might feel like you do it in the same way. Uh, and for whatever reason, like there's a strange vibe in the room there's like a, a little bit of anger in the room. There's a little bit of tension. There's a little bit of, uh, for, for whatever reason, the thing, and it just doesn't work and you bomb, you fall so flat and, and just trying to figure out, oh, well, that can't be the last, that's not the last gig I'm ever going to do because I'm going to leave that at a bomb. Um, <laughs> and it's really strange, man. Like a, yeah, you probably appreciate it more than most people, but I, I find it so confusing just the dynamics, like the dynamics of energy in a room where yeah. for some reason it works and for some reason it doesn't. But then I think like you go into a room, like if you went into a pub after a massive fight and you started going, hey, guys, let me tell you these jokes, people are going to be like, I'm not in the mood. Like this is, yeah. and then obviously some people are there by themselves, some people are there in a group, some people are, you know, yeah. it's, it's and so many I find, a sim- I find a similar thing because I host trivia once a week uh, this way and it's, it's, it's stand-up light. It's stand-up comedy with a loose script provided and you riff off that, but you've got a crowd of 60 to 100 people that you're working for two hours. Um, so it's a similar skill set and you're right, the, the vibe. And I'm like really, really lucky that my wife, Kate, comes along to do the scoring and help with the scoring to speed that up. And after the first round, I'll always come back and be like, all right, how is it and how am I? <laughs> and she'll be like, okay, yeah, you, you, you seem flat. Because I'm going to that because I work there as well is I'll finish work and go straight into it. So if I'm a bit grumpy and the room's a bit grumpy, the vibe of the night is not going to go well. So I need that like external source to be able to go, yeah, no, nah, the room is weird. It's not just you. Everyone seems a bit flat. They're not really engaging. There's a lot of background noise. 
you need to pep up a little bit. We're like, sweet, done. Second, end of second round. All right, how's this going? And, and she'll give me that feedback. And there'll be times where she's like, yeah, you need to pep up. You, you're a bit flat. I'm like, cool. And then all the times like, no, no, you need to calm down a bit. You, you, the room's good. It's good. It's there. <laughs> you need to stop. <laughs> stop trying so hard. I'm like, yeah, yeah, fair, 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 fair. Cool, 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 cool. And it's that like, it's almost as we touched on earlier, it's that like perception of confidence, but that actual brutal humility. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a facade of confidence when really I'm like, um, pretty sure that was shit. And everyone's like, that was amazing. It's like, I'm not listening to you. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hundred percent facade. And the scariest thing is when you're on stage and you know for a fact that the the vibe in the room's good, the act before you got laugh, laughs, the audience is enjoying it. They're there to have fun. And that you doesn't mean you're going to be hit, good. And you hit your punchline and they go, what? <laughs> and just to feel your heart go, oh no, that's all I, that's all I had. That was that was the best I had. This is going to be a long five or 10 minutes because if you didn't think that was funny, the rest of this stuff you're going to hate. And just that's... learning to operate. Because there's a way to make a bomb funny as well. Like, a, yeah. like, And that's a skill that I've been learning because I've had so much practice. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've had so much practice of just going, this is that's not That's your shtick now. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a really strange experience and yeah there's definitely no hiding it's a it's interesting I like I like what you said about about Kate being there as like an external measure mm. of of the room as well because one thing I've learned to do as well is say if I'm not up first like if I'm mm. up fifth or sixth I'll sit at the back of the room and I'll, I'll look around I'll say okay people drinking it do they actually want to be here are they mostly comedians or are they actual audience members um like how they're responding to these actual comedians the on stage and then, yeah, if I if the first five comedians have got no laughs, it's just a dead room, I go, okay, well, it's almost just like a bit of a rehearsal. I'm just going to use this as almost a workshop to find out if there's any, like even if there's a little giggle that night, I'll claim it as a kill because I'm like, oh, good, because I feel like that might work in a, a bigger audience. Um, yeah. But or, just, you know, or when there's one room where everybody bombs and the night finishes early and the host gets up and goes, hey, Tice. Oh, hey, Tice, I was, I we've got a bit of time. Um, did you want to get up and, and, and do a set? And it's literally a room full of everybody else that's just bombed and me and one couple that have just been dragged in, abused for the last two sets. They're about to leave because they were not a pr- not happy with how it's gone. And then you have to get up on stage. Oh, do you oh. know what? I was really hoping you'd forgotten that night. I remember us sitting at the back I remember of that room. I got a parking ticket. That's for, oh, that's an expensive <laughs> shit night out. <laughs> <laughs> 170 bucks to go and watch that rubbish. Um, and I, remember I, remember, I remember sitting at the back of the room with you and I said to you, I'm so glad I'm not up tonight. <laughs> you did. And uh, <laughs> but there's such a there's such a passion in the comedy so scene. Hard. There's such a passion in the comedy scene for people to go, all right, like just get it's just reps, it's just reps, get up there. And I remember he called me up and speaking about just like being flat, I remember sitting at the back and I wasn't in a funny mood. I didn't know what set I was going to do. I knew no one wanted to be there. And I was like, all right, how do I convert this in the next three seconds? And the answer was I didn't. And <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, and it was just, um, but bro, I've learned, like I so appreciate those nights. And the, the comforting yeah. thing is whether you're Bill Burt, Kevin Hart's got a podcast at the moment called Co- Comedy Goldmines, which I love listening to. Yeah. Whether you're Bill Burr, Seinfeld, Kevin Hart, Joe Rogan, Dave Chappelle, everyone's got their bomb stories, even still. Like the best yeah. in the world go, oh, man, last night was rough. I go, hang on, you've been doing this 30 years. 
So I'm like, all right, this is, it's just part of the territory. I've just got to learn to, I've got to try and just attach or, or dis, what, what do you say? Unattach my emotions yeah. as consistently as I can. Cause otherwise like you just, if you have a good night, you turn into an arrogant bastard. If you have a bad mm. night, you're just depressed. So I'm yeah. like, all right, I'm just, I'm just trying to work on this craft and, and like, however good I can get fantastic, but yeah. not too much of my, not too much of my self-worth is attached to how many people are laughing at me. Well, and that's a good point you raise there and i feel like that's a that's a whole nother podcast in and of itself and we've just churned through an hour in like no time at all um and i know you gotta go be a father and all that sort of stuff he's asleep bro don't um, worry about it i've just gotta be oh, a husband fine. <laughs> fine that's it that's easy i'm not even sure if she's home no. <laughs> Wait, who's got the kid i don't know um so look all these things i assume also based on based on personal experience involve a fair level of anxiety. How do you manage your personal anxiety and stress and getting out of your head when you especially, like I find personally, especially when it's like a gig coming up in advance and you've got a date, your brain is like stewing on it all the time up to that and it's this feedback loop. Like how do you manage or maybe a race or whatever? How do you manage that stress and anxiety in the lead up to something like that? Man, I, I honestly, I, I really love that anxious feeling about like, I, I, Interesting. I, love, I love that feeling of being terrified and being like, sometimes, really? before I, yeah, sometimes before I get up on stage, like my hands are literally shaking. I'm like, oh, this and my heart's pumping. And there's something in me that just comes alive during that moment. I feel like I think wow. really like any, um, like any stress or frustration or whatever from my day just disappears. And it's like, all of a sudden you're just there and it's like, all right, this is tunnel vision. Almost hundred um, percent. I, I don't like, I honestly, like when I wake up for a, a comedy gig, I wake up and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm fist pumping. I'm like, yes, thank God. Like I get to go and work on this craft a little bit. Um, so I guess my old running coach used to say to me, he goes, anxiety and excitement are the same feeling. It's just the way you see it. And I, I tend to agree. Boom. I tend to agree. Like, a, mm. um, so, so now I think when I'm, uh, when I'm really nervous and I know it, I'm like, all right, like, am I nervous? Am I excited? Is it a combination? But either way, for me, it's just a, it's a little bit of a thrill. It's just a, a yeah, I, I really, I, I sort of live for those moments. That's fascinating. And what would be, if you were to go back to your 14-year-old running self, you've just won that, that race. Would you change anything? Would you do anything anything different? Would you tell him anything or would you just tell him, mate, go for it? Yeah, bro, honestly, this is so funny to say this. I would have said, mate, don't run. Go pursue your football. <laughs> oh, really? A hundred percent. As much as it sounds funny saying that because I, I love running. I just think I was yeah. a better footballer than I was a runner. Um, and uh, as I've gotten older, like I've, I've redeveloped that love for footy. So right now where I'm at, I'm like, ah, oh, it's, uh, it's crazy. That- is that just because you follow the blues? And you go, <laughs> yeah. I could play better than those guys. Like, that would be the one team that if I got drafted to, I'll go, you know what, actually, I'm just going to go back to running. <laughs> Stand-up's right. looking real good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, man, honestly, like from a, from a sporting perspective, if that's what mm. you're asking, yeah, 100%, I'd go, mate, um, yeah, use running as a hobby, but why don't you go play footy? Because I don't know, I, I love that camaraderie. I love, I, just, I love being around the boys a little bit, just having yeah. that. That that really close team sport step. versus solo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like it, which is funny because I've got so many individual pursuits. But um, it's a. I sort of say that tongue in cheek. I'm not sure if I, I actually do that, but I, it, it, I'd be close. If I saw me as a 14 year old, and 
you got me in the wrong mood. I'll definitely say that to him, even if I was just being a jerk. Love it. I love it. And I think what I mean, we could literally talk all night long. And once I finish this podcast and hit pause on the recording, we probably will keep talking. <laughs> but for everybody listening, I think that's a, a good spot to, to leave it. Tice, mate. Thank you so much for bearing your soul on this little old podcast and, and sharing some of your experience. I really appreciate it, mate. Dude, I was pumped when you messaged me and said, come on. I thought, okay, hang on a second. I better brush my hair all nice. Oh, yeah. Dude, that was fun. Despite some of the uh, those were like, what are you guys even going to talk about? Like, what you, uh, Well, we just nailed an hour like nothing else. So It was fun for me, even if not for you. That first 15 minutes of running talk might have been painful, but, hey, I loved it. That was good, man. Really appreciate it. And everybody, hey, Tice, where can people follow you? Where can they find out a bit about relaxed running if that's what they're interested in? Oh, just just type it into Google. I reckon just yeah, <laughs> relaxed running will pop up. I think I'm the only popplestone in the world, so that should pop up. Um, a double P or one P? Yeah, uh, double P. Yeah, even if you even if you misspell five of the letters, it should still come up because that arrangement of letters it just doesn't so unique. It's so unique. So Tyson yep. Popplestone, I'm on Instagram. So is Relax Running and that's where it's all at. Mate, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your day. Have a great one. Bye.